G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. Today with Jeff Vines, author, pastor, apologist and Bible teacher with a straight-talking message from the Word. God's law is not given arbitrarily, that He gives it because He is a loving Heavenly Father who wants to see us be successful. Today with Jeff Vines. Hello and welcome. My name is Bill and thanks for joining me again on Today with Jeff Vines. In this episode, Pastor Jeff begins a new series about rerouting our lives. He'll be referring to Proverbs chapter 7, verse 9, and he'll be sharing some wisdom with us about intention versus direction and destination. Let's join Pastor Jeff now on Today with Jeff Vines. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 7, verse 5. Proverbs 7, 5. Now, listen, most of you know that moms are a lot like God. Now, you know that because one, uh, of the authoritative voice with which she speaks, and two, because she constantly reminds you that she brought you into the world, she can take you out, that kind of thing. So God and moms are very similar. They're similar in another way, though. They're similar in the sense that nobody pulls for you more than mom. I mean, she wants you to succeed so badly. And what we forget is that God is the same way. God is in your corner, man. He is on your side. And he wants to see you live the abundant life Jesus came to bring. There's another similarity, although not exactly similar. There's some commonalities. God gives you an enormous amount of freedom in your life. Although he could, he does not force you to live and to walk on paths that would lead to this abundant life Jesus came to bring. Mothers are similar in the sense that they wish they could force you. And there are a lot of moms in this room right now that I just want to give a message to before we start in Proverbs 7, and it's this. You cannot make your child's decision for them. When they come to that age of 19, 20, 21, whatever, and you so desperately want them to live a certain way, no matter how much you try, it's up to them. And they've got to decide that they're going to walk in the ways of God. And it's not because you've done a poor job with them. It's simply because there comes the age, then you have to make the decision. Now, Solomon in Proverbs chapter 7 gives us a metaphor of success. Now, we are not a health, wealth, and prosperity church, but we do believe that God's law is not given arbitrarily, that he gives it because he is a loving heavenly father who wants to see us be successful in our marriages, in our families, in our work, in our spiritual or spirituality, in our seeking and passion for him. That God is a God 
that has empowered you with the power of his spirit to live a life of abundant living. But there is an overarching truth that we find in Proverbs 7 that we can't go forward in this series until we've memorized it, till we've contemplated, till we've grappled with it. And we can't make the next step till we all agree on this one. And the overarching truth that you find in Proverbs 7, that you find throughout the entire scripture through metaphor after metaphor is this. It's a simple one. And that is that direction, not intention, determines destination. Direction, not intention, determines destination. Uh, one of my favorite pastors out of Atlanta, Georgia, uh, Andy Stanley, calls this the principle of the path. Great book, I suggest you read it. But I want to take that path principle and develop it right here in Proverbs 7. Now, the reason that's important is because most of us believe that intention determines destination. Here's what I mean. We think as long as we really want something to happen, it'll happen. As long as we really are sincere and serious that this is where we want to end up, that's good enough. It doesn't matter what road we choose. Uh, let me give you a few practical examples, then we'll go to Proverbs. Number one, let's say that I want to take the family to Palm Springs for vacation. And I know Palm Springs was made by God because there are 72 golf courses within a 10-mile radius. <laughs> so I know, that this is I, know that, I know that this is the original Garden of Eden. I don't know why we think it's in the middle. This is it right here. Let's say I want to take the family. So I load up the golf clubs, the swimsuits. I go over to John Brainerd's house, the chairman of our board of elders, and I ask to borrow one of the four-wheelers, and we're going to... We're going to ride through the sand dunes and we're just kind of a good time, pack up the car, go out in the driveway, load them up, get them ready, take photos, send it out on social media, a Twitter, Facebook, whatever. And I have great intentions of going to Palm Springs and then I head my car in the direction of the 10 West. Now, will I get there? Even if I really, really want to go, even if every intention within me is to get to Palm Springs, but if I head West on the 10, where am I going to end up? Unless I reroute, unless I reroute, I won't get the desired destination. Same thing. Let's say it's January and the snows have been great up in Big Bear and I load up the Jeep Cherokee with the, with the snowboards and with the snow skis and with the snow chains. And I look forward to going to Thelma's and having some strawberry pie. You ever been there? Ever had any strawberry rhubarb pie at Thelma's? You need to try it. And so my intentions are a great family holiday. So I promptly get on the 57 and head south unless I reroute. See how practical that is? It's not rocket science, is it? It's direction, not intention, determines destination. Now, we are so good at that, and we understand it when it comes to mapping out vacations. But there is a great disconnect in mapping out our lives. And what I want to say to you, what, the way we want to begin from the get-go, is that until you learn this principle concerning your marriages, concerning your future, your job, your children growing up to be men and women of great character and integrity, just because you hope it's so, even just because you pray that it will happen, doesn't mean that it's going to happen because direction, not intention, determines destination. Now, to make sure you got that, well, you say, Pastor Jeff hammered that. Yes, he did. We're going to repeat it together on the count of three. One, two, three. Direction, not intention, determines destination. Now, now that you have that, go over to Proverbs 7. Here's the metaphor. It emphasizes this principle in a profound way. Here's what's happening. Great story. Now, stay with me. I told you, you ought to read your Bible. Great stories in your Bible. 
Solomon, he's up on a second floor window looking out and he sees a young man marching toward the home of a married woman. And it's the scenario he's seen thousands of times. So he knows where this road ends. And he writes, verse five, at the window of my house, I looked down to the lattice. I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who had no sense. Two Hebrew words. How do you like that? To be referred to as simple and you have no sense. The simple idea is this, that here's a young man that sees that what he's about to do is a one-time event. It's an event. It's a glorious one. And it has absolutely no ramifications on his future. The two aren't connected. So he's simple in the sense that he doesn't know this is the first step. This is the gateway. By the way, you know, Uh, This can be applied to smoking marijuana. They call it the gateway drug. Why? Because most people start smoking marijuana for recreation. This is cool, but if they need something else and they go on, many drug addicts started by saying, I think I'll do this harmless activity and then they lead up in drug addiction. Solomon is simply saying, you think it's a one-time event that is not gonna hurt your future. I'm telling you, it's a one-time event that starts you on a road that ends in your demise. And he also calls him a man with no sense. The Hebrew word actually means... uh, Uh, the lack of judgment. Now, you know how you get good judgment, right? You need two ingredients, time and experience. That's how you become a good judge of character and a good judge of where you're going. That's why moms are so great. Moms are great because they have judgment, because they have time and experience. So young ladies, when your mom is yelling at you and trying to tell you to get off that path, it's not because she hates you, it's because she loves you. And it's because she has time and experience. She's already traveled all those roads and she knows where they end. So she's saying, get off the road. And you might say, well, my mom might have judgment, but look at what she wears. Now, that's a different kind of judgment. That's not the same thing. So Solomon says, Solomon says, he was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house at twilight as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in. Now, Robert Alter is a great Hebrew scholar and writes about Hebrew narrative. And I'm gonna make an attempt here to explain what Solomon is doing by writing these words. He's kind of painting a scene for you. The sun is setting darkness is coming, it's twilight. And there's two soundtracks playing in the story. The one soundtrack is in the young man who's marching toward the married woman's house. And it probably sounds something very similar to this. Born to be you got it? You understand? That's what he hears. He's going to have a one-time experience with no ramifications on his future. Now, while he hears that soundtrack, Solomon up, the older, wiser Solomon is up on the second story and he's have, he, he has another soundtrack in his mind and it probably goes something like this. <laughs> you with me? Okay, you see the contrast that Solomon's trying to paint? One sees it as a one-time event with no future ramifications. The other sees it, wow, watch out. You're about to be eaten alive. He, because he knows the road, he knows the destination, and he knows this does not end well. It's a predictable end. So he continues. Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute, and with crafty intent, she took hold of him and kissed him. And with a brazen face, she said, today I have fulfilled my vows. You see that? Wow. What vows is she fulfilling? Not her marriage vows. Now this is uncanny, but it's also very difficult to grapple with because it's so convicting. You know what she's saying? She's saying this, I've been to the priest. I've been to the temple. I brought my big bucket of sin and I emptied it out. I've been absolved. So I've got an empty bucket. I'm ready to fill it again with you. (laughs) Amazing, isn't it? I've been to the priest, big bucket of sin, emptied it out, gave the sacrifice, even got some left over that's still at my house. 
but I'm square with the house. I'm good to go. Empty bucket. I got six days to fill it again. I want to start with you. Now, I've told this uh, joke in every service before you, and uh, I've not gotten laughter. And I I would appreciate, I just want to tell you that I'm not beyond sympathy laughter because I'm determined to get a laugh out of this joke sooner or later. I'm I'm trusting and depending on you. I think it's hilarious, but here it goes. I heard it when I was younger, Catholic priests. And don't worry, I'll get to the Protestants in a minute. We are equally opportunity here. And so the Catholic priest uh, receives a phone call. He's in the confession booth. He's got to go. And it's an emergency. So he finds a, a, a young Catholic boy and he says, look, I need you to come into the confessional booth behind the curtain and take confession. And the young man says, I can't do that. I'm not a priest. He goes, sure you can, but I don't even know where to start. Just sit with me for a few and then I'll leave. So the first guy comes in and says, Father, Father, I have sinned three times. What must I do? And the priest says, go, my child, and sin no more. Your sins are forgiven. And then he notices the man drops $5 in the offering plate. Another guy comes, Father, Father, I have sinned three times. What must I do? Go, my son, and sin no more. Your sins are forgiven. He drops another $5 in. So this happens, and the young man says, I think I can do this. The priest says, are you sure? He says, yeah. So the priest leaves. The young man gets behind the curtain. First person comes, Father, Father, I have sinned three times. What must I do? Go, my son, sin no more. Your sins are forgiven. And he drops a five in the offering plate. Now this happens, one after the next, $5 bill stacking up. Everything's going fine. Until a young lady comes into the confessional booth and says, Father, Father, I have sinned. And the young man's stumped by this. He said, only once? She says, only once. And it confuses him. He thinks for a while, and then he says, we're running a special, three for five dollars. Go send two. Go send two more times and come back and we'll talk. See, that's funny, don't you think? See, you laughed, and and I I can tell not all of that sympathy laughter. Now, here's the point. Unfortunately, it has a a convicting point. Here's what it is. To a lot of Catholics, you fill your bucket up, and then you go to the priest, and it's magical. And all of a sudden, you leave absolved of your sin because you've said a few words and confessed your sins. And now your bucket is empty, and you're ready to go out and fill it again until you come back to confession. Now, the Protestants are the same way. They just skip the priest. It's like a drive through window. I come into church on Sunday with my big bucket of sin, and I sing a few songs, take communion. I've got an empty bucket. I'm feeling so clean. And then I go back out and fill it up until next weekend. Now, here's the irony of that. The reality is it works to a degree because you are forgiven of past, present, future sin because of the cross of Jesus Christ. And if you come in and you confess whatever it is that you've done, it is true that you are forgiven and your sins are separated as far as the east is from the west. That's the irony. You are forgiven. However, let me read to you another verse found in the scripture in Galatians chapter six, verse seven. It's how it goes. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. So here's what the Bible teaches. You're forgiven. But just because you're forgiven doesn't mean that you're not going to suffer the ramifications of what you've done. God will forgive you of murder. You're still going to go to prison. He doesn't magically erase the ramifications. Why? Because God will not be mocked. If you're insistent on going down a road, a path that leads to destruction, it will lead to destruction. And you can't wave a magic wand and say a magic prayer and all of a sudden all the ramifications are taken away. But the beauty of it is all sin confess to the Father because of the cross, they are forgiven. You with me? 
God's law is not given arbitrarily. He gives it because he loves you and he wants you on the path that leads to life. If you're insisting on going the path that leads to death in whatever area of your life, he's not gonna stop in, intervene and make sure you can mock the principle of reaping and sowing. And the principle is what you sow, you reap later than you sow, more than you sow. I was a teaching pastor at Savannah, Georgia for a couple of years and I was called by a family to go into a hospital room and visit their daughter. I discovered that their daughter was in a drunk driving accident. She was the drunk driver. And she ran her car into a uh, utility pole and now she's in a coma. There's a, a tube sticking out of her head where they're trying to drain the blood. She's very young, very attractive young girl. I go to her hospital bed for two weeks straight and just sit there, hold her hand and pray. She's not conscious, at least you never know what's going on here, but I'm there two weeks in and out, get to know all the nurses. They know me by name. After two weeks, I come in one morning and they say, Pastor Jeff, she's, the tube is out. She's conscious. She's, I think she's going to recover. Now, I go into the hospital room. Would anybody like to guess the first thing she said to me when she found out I was a pastor? Why did God do this to me? Really? God made you have too much to drink and run your car into a light pole? God did not do this to you. You chose to go down a path, a road that led you to this. And I'll guarantee there were plenty of warning signs before you ever drove your car into that utility pole. Solomon knows this. He knows how it works. This woman comes and says, I'm squared away with God. I've got an empty bucket and I'm ready to fill it with you. And Solomon wants to say, dude, this is not gonna end well. She says, today I have fulfilled my vows and I have food from my fellowship offering at home. She's got food left over. So I came out, listen, to meet you. I looked for you and have found you. Solomon's just up on the second floor shaking his head. Why? Because these are individualistic terms. He thinks he's special. He's special. (laughs) I came down into the city looking, hoping to meet this woman. As it turns out, she was looking for me because I'm special. I'm unique. No one's like me. And Solomon's up shaking his head. You simple-minded, foolish, lack of judgment idiot. You're just one among thousands who have been this way before. She comes out, the Bible says, and she says, I have covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. See the temptation? I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. I have purchased a new Barry White CD. No, that's not in there. (laughs) Come, let's drink deeply of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband is not at home. There's a shocker. He has gone on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money. That always bothered me. Perhaps that's why they're struggling the marriage. I mean, (laughs) let's change that a little bit. I took my man bag. He took his man bag and filled with money and will not be home till full moon. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk all at once. He followed her. Of course he did, Solomon says. He thinks he's a rock star. He thinks he's unique, that he's something special. And this will give him hope and meaning and purpose and significance. So Solomon then uses metaphors within the metaphor. He says, I'll tell you what you're like. You're like an ox going to the slaughter. Notice he doesn't say sheep. There's nothing sheepish about this. He feels he's strong and in control. And this road will not end in death. He's in full control. So you're not, you're like an ox going to the slot. You're fighting it and you're strong, but you're going to die. You're like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces his liver. Now I'm from Tennessee and I know what happens. Deers will put their feet in places and try to settle down and they think they're safe. And then sometimes they'll put their feet in a snare 
and the snare will pop and the noose will tighten. And then by the time you want to try to get away, it's too late. And the huntsman comes and he fills your body full of arrows, piercing you through and through. He says, you're like an ox. You think you're strong, led to the slaughter. You're like a deer stepping into a situation that you think is going to be comfortable. It's going to kill you. You're like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. You're like an ox. You're like a deer. You're like a bird. Why is he relentless with these metaphors? I'll tell you, because he knows in the young man's mind, he thinks it's a one-time event with no future ramifications. He's saying it's not a one-time event. You're starting to walk on a path that is going to lead to your demise. Wake up, listen, which leads me to the second truth. And it's this, everybody believes they are the exception to the principle of the path. Well, that's where we need to pause for today. Please join us next time to hear more from Pastor Jeff about the second truth when we continue this message about intention versus direction and destination. Because we've got springs of living water welling up within us. We've got the potential for the abundant life. So when we go on a wrong road, the Holy Spirit does what? Reroute, reroute, reroute. It doesn't say that, but you know, you know it in your spirit. This is not the road. This is not the road. This is not the road. With Jeff Vines. For more from Pastor Jeff, head to vision.org.au forward slash Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines, just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.